Welcome to the Backwards Infect at Twitter and Gmail under that same name. I have just one question for you. How soon is now? Now is now. That's what this show is all about. Is the now. The present moment. Uh, How is it so that the infinite mystery flows from the ever-present? Such a mystical and mysterious thing, but once found, kind of alleviates a lot of the pressure that you've always had your whole life. So, yeah. I like that little catchphrase. It's from my favorite song, too. How soon is now? I think we might have to incorporate that on the intro. I love the, um, yeah, how soon is now? Yeah, that's a that's a good little line there. I'm, I'm feeling like we're needing that, that little phrase at the beginning. Something to do with now. Perfect. Yeah. Just start including that in your intro, please. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. You had a good uh, contrast word set up. Was that a spoken word? Sure. Yeah. Every week I kind of ponder on what, what we can open the program with that uh, really ever since I gained the wisdom and knowledge after awakening, The what came to mind this week was uh, the spoken word, and I never really understood what the spoken word was before. So it's really not a contrast word; it's just something that I I I learned after awakening. So it's not uh, you know love. You you definitely have a contrast um, and have some backwards meanings. But this is something that took on just uh it's 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 form and everything after the awakening and i picked up on it wasn't able to put my finger on what it was when i heard someone speaking from what i would call the spoken word and i was drawn to it immediately and um, i'm not saying everyone would be drawn to it but you know a person that maybe on a higher level of suffering maybe right there at the door ready to ready to hear, you know, the truth that could set them free. I think they're definitely going to hear the spoken word. And then there's other people that may be a little further off, off the path, maybe need to live out the form, you know, more and maybe could write off the spoken word. But to me, there's, there's a bit of a flow that comes from inspiration within and it doesn't come from the traditional thoughts. And after, after I awakened it for the first time, I, I didn't realize that I had never tapped into something before. And it's only fitting just because vi- even you take your five senses, like visually, it's, just, it's on the same level as not really seeing a tree for the first time as well. Obviously, we've seen trees. Um, obviously, we've been in nature unawakened obviously we've spoken language not being awakened 
what I'm talking about is that another level of seeing a tree for the first time and then speaking wise, there's actually something to tap into in the moment that if you're not wrapped up in thought, something that comes naturally from intuition, um, the words, you know, shown to you right before you speak them and you just continue to hit that flow. I think that's what the backwards infect podcast is built on. Um, and it's for a commitment to, to the now and, and tapping into that. And you can, you can take it so many different ways because before the only thing that I can attribute it to, and this is probably going to be one of those things that's like, wow, I never, never quite possibly seen that away, seen it that way. But before when you heard it's like speaking in tongues, I thought, and I, I think I know what speaking in tongues is. And I think that speaking in tongues is speaking in the present moment. And that's just a little, that's, that's something I've really never even discussed with anyone. But growing up in a religious or a belief system, speaking in tongues is supposed to be like, you know, gibberish almost. And then the high priest is the only one that can translate and me now looking back, I guess there's the contrast. Me looking back at those moments, they just are they're just not not true moments for me. Because for one, speaking in tongues, it would never gibberish like that and only being able to be interpreted by one person at the forefront, it just doesn't make any sense to me within. And it hit me one day, I'm like, well, maybe like, you know, the Eckhart Tolle's, the Osho's, the um, Deepak Chopra, the, I mean, all the legends, they, we all know that they have like spiritual gems. We all know that they could write their own book of the Bible. We all know that it resonates within. It seems to me that that's speaking in tongues. It's just a different way of wording it. I say the spoken word now just because, you know, it's just a, the best term that I can come up with right here and now. Um, and it's also, that's how I wrote, you know, I sent that book to you, which you'll get it in a few days. And it's also the problem that a lot of people in a belief system have, and it tie, all ties into like the ancient God syndrome. Because when you read the Bible, you think, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the people that wrote the books, they were on a higher level inspiration from God. And it couldn't be further from the truth that you can have people today write another book of the Bible. You can speak as though you're writing a book of the Bible right now. And I applied that a lot, just being in a belief system coming out of a belief system, going back and looking at, you know, some of the documents we read in the past and say, oh, so these guys were spiritually awakened. They knew how to tap into the spoken word or what I think is speaking in tongues. 
I'd love to get your take on that too. Cause I, I, if, if speaking in tongues, I don't know what else speaking in tongues could be if it wasn't like the spoken word. Yeah. And the, the dogma, um, kind of screw up the way we look at speaking in tongues tongues or the way that we talk about speaking in tongues. I also remember back from church, there was a different form of speaking in tongues where somebody would be speaking as if they are God in the moment. So they would, with a deeper authority, and they would be talking to the congregation as as the voice of God, so not gibberish. I can remember that one. Um, and some of those actually might have even rang more true if they didn't really get too deep and they just had concepts of open love. So it's weird, like looking back at the congregation for me in terms of what presence was for that group and what energy was in that group and what people were capable of. I mean, the gibberish one is... I mean, I don't, I don't know what that is. I, I don't know what presence or awareness could like bring up that type of gibberish other than the fact of, I mean, sometimes even when I'm making sense, I still kind of feel like it's gibberish. And that's, I, I feel like I get confused a lot these days because like that spoken word I'm hearing it. I'm very comfortable with like sometimes, especially now with all the seeking that we're doing. I mean, my life at this point when we're not on the podcast, I mean, the rest of the time is in some other mode of seeking. So it's always new sources and the recognition of the spoken word is, is, is fine. But I don't, for like my own spoken word or the truth coming out of your own mouth, it's something like I can really only pick up on like after the fact. It's really hard for me like in the moment. But I recognize later, like if it was like an interaction with a family or maybe something that I said on a podcast that you listen to later, like I can see it afterwards. But there's like a, like maybe one more layer of reluctance where, it's just that language boundary. Like I know as soon as I start to put it in words, I'm going to miss. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I I don't even know if what, from what I've heard of you, I mean, you do a great job, but I mean, there's definitely people that can tap into a flow and, and, you know, spout off truth back to back to back to back to back to back and it just never ends and i feel like there's a gift for that and then when i'm writing you can really get into that because you get into asking yourself your own questions and you do it in a way as almost if you're interviewing yourself so you ask yourself a question and then you just start writing and uh, just over the years what i've found is i've you know whenever you teach your own ears with your own mouth it's just a clear indicator that the only way you can do it with yourself is really writing unless you're 
having a conversation in your head. And I guess there is a positive conversation to be had in your head in, in the correct forum. That's not, you know, a mind job or getting caught up in your head. Cause there, there are times where you ask your question and then, you know, you get your answer right away. So it's, if you don't have anyone to talk to, you're pretty much telling yourself and teaching yourself. But I found it very interesting that you, you're talking about your tongue. I mean, you're speaking in tongues, which in the present moment or in now, that's exactly what you're doing. Like you're not planning what you're saying. There is no ego driven message. The only commitment is stay in the present moment. And when questions are asked, you know, intuition as the guide is, is speaking. And if we're not, if we're not to the understanding yet that God is omnificent or everywhere, then we're not even close to understanding what the spoken word is anyway, because if we, if we're, if we, in one hand we say God's omnificent, but no, there's no way to tap into some type of flow, then we might as well start at ground zero. Um, yeah, that's why I always, I always use the word grounding force describing you because, and, and just the contrast between you and I, like there's definitely versions of spoken word. Like if you were to say, um, give me a monologue about the ego and trickery, like I could go off. I could probably spend like an hour just going off on the ego and trickery. But if you slide that and you, and you say, um, now move into the direction of knowing and understanding God, which I do know and understand God in a, on a level that I certainly didn't before, but trying to put that into words. And that's where I get, so there's like a spectrum there. And so like the one part of it comes real easy, but then I think with like the God and the mystical side, it, there's just so much not knowing. And I'm, I feel like I'm just kind of in the stage where like sometimes I can hear it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to hear more of what this person has to say. But there, there just, there seems to be like a range of spoken word for myself where, um, Some of it's just so new and so mystical and so I'm so humbled. I'm so, and, and those big ones, you know, like explain God or, or explain presence or explain oneness or explain nothing. Like they're, they're much more challenging and, and, and there's enough of my, old construct that it's really hard for me to tell like what what's revving up and what's getting going versus like what is like an intuition process in that moment well even with the big concepts i mean definitely don't want you to sell yourself short because i mean we i, I listen to the podcast and and some of the most teaching moments for me were when you know someone I can remember, you know, you're probably going to tell your awakening story 5,000 times. 
I mean, it's just going to happen over and over because you're going to talk to different guests. But the times where you explain what God was before and what God is now, I mean, it's pretty, pretty, pretty good answers. I mean, I enjoy them and it's resonating with me hard, hard, especially guests that are just point blank. Like, okay, pre-awakening in a belief system. What are you now? And those answers are pretty damn beautiful. They're, they're pretty, I would. I I would call that speaking in tongues because I don't have any other explanation for it. And I think it's just a play on words, like a lot of things. I mean, the word speaking in tongues was just more popular. You know, I had never heard the words uh, spoken word before I awakened. I mean, I I don't even know where I originally heard that, but I understood what it was as soon as it was said. And I was like, well, isn't that a play off of speaking in tongues too? And, and, the answer that I get is yes. I mean, how, how could it not be? Cause okay. So what, what's the other explanation? Speaking tongue, speaking in tongues is what it is. Someone in the congregation gibberish is out. And the only one that can interpret that is the priest. And the priest always have the same message with, and always, always remember is you are my people. I love my people. Something very broad and generic in general. Yeah. And all encompassing. But my point is when you find love or you find God or you find universal, you know, flow, what makes the least amount of sense is someone in a pulpit or on a stage telling me what God is saying. That makes the least amount of sense because we can all agree after awakening that God or universe is freaking omnificent in all things. I mean, that's, we can agree on that. Yeah. Do you think it's possible that, I mean, just because you have the one that's speaking as God, so we have the two examples and then the one is speaking gibberish. I mean, is it possible that that person is, you know, just taking in the collective energy and just getting humbled to the point where, they just have to open their mouth and make sounds to say that that person's not like well-intended, you know, I, I, the, some of the people that I remember in the church that were, you know, I, I, I never had any reason to doubt their sincerity. Yeah. I didn't see the people that were speaking in tongues as some type of, uh, fake people at the time me looking back i now think incredibly misguided with a ton of compassion but i never said oh that was fake at the time if i had the kind of knowledge and understanding in that in a building like that now i you know who knows what kind of feeling i would get at that moment but like you said I mean, we've figured that 80, 90% of people are well-intended and want to play that game so bad. But when you're playing the wrong game, and I hate to put it in, in words like that, but in a misguided belief system and you're playing the game that well-intended and that sincere, I have a lot of compassion for that because I don't think it gets you anywhere as far as finding out 
who your I mean who your well intentions are. I mean you're you're that sincere. I don't know. For me though, it was I I do have compassion for those people, but in my life I I was I don't know if my sincerity was I don't know if how you could gauge it. But I knew that something was missing. I knew something. I knew that you you it couldn't be just like do more devotion. Like I knew that there was something that was a game changer in in the spirituality religion space. And I would seek it out, you know, and um, ask questions. And in a church or a belief system, the answer always was, well, you just need to read the Bible more, you know, be devoted more in that way. And you have learned what devotion is now. But devotion without understanding is like spinning on a hamster wheel. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. So you could say be devoted and do your devotions every night and read the Bible uh, and that that what it, what would that what would that have done with no understanding? For me it would have done nothing. There's some people that are well intended to where, you know, they could spend a whole life a certain level of sincerity uh, and believe that they're on the right path and maybe real, real close, like you said, right under your nose. But at the end of the day, I wanted, I wanted a little bit of more experience. And I feel like if people so, really examine that, they would, they would see they're they're missing that ultimate wholeness. So if you take it back to Christ walking around, I mean, is that so that's where the idea of speaking in tongues originates, at least for us in terms of our culture and the way we understand it. So would would Christ's presence like through a village or something be at such a severe level that people around him would just be so overwhelmed and humbled by his presence that they wouldn't be able to speak. So when they start to speak, it would just be gibberish. Is that a possibility? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't... Could Somebody that maybe wasn't even ready for it and just was in the path of it and... You know, they're trying to put together words, but it's just an overwhelming process for them. And they're, they act, they actually lose the ability to speak like they're, they're probably in their own consciousness speaking more clearly than they ever have. I mean, if, if this would be a phenomenon, but from the outside, it would, you would have, um, everybody else hearing it as gibberish yeah so you're saying is there a real sense that someone awakened or someone 
of the presence of Jesus that were in the presence of someone in a real fashion and could it come out and in different ways. I just don't see it as authentic inside the church happening that way. But I mean, I, I also know that like Jesus was here now. I mean, that people, people would even understand that presence. (laughs) I mean, let alone be, be able to speak in tongues. They would probably, well, even Osho and, and the congregation Osho, I mean, was doing all kinds of radical stuff. I mean, maybe even on the line of speaking in tongues. They were just um, overflowing with spiritual energy, it seemed at times. So, yeah, yeah, I don't, um, in terms of feeling some type of flow and it coming out where people don't understand, I think that is very possible. And you can call that speaking in tongues now, but you could also call the backwards, in fact, speaking in tongues, you could call, Right. You could call anyone who's devoting their time to the power of now, you can call that speaking in tongues. Um, but in the, that would be just for the person though, that was going through that, that it gets all, it gets a little hairy for me when in, I'm not underestimating that someone in the presence of, of, of whatever, or even is having an awakening or even you that day, but just it, you know, in that first day, you're just like, can't even speak, but you're just gibbering off whatever. That's perfectly understandable, but it's for Cain only. Like yeah. for you only. That's that's your love boat. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing you're sending out to someone on a stage to interpret for 300 people because you right. get to the point where you're be, be able to start to put stuff into words. And if you can't put stuff into words, then that's not your gift. But you have five other gifts that you can do. I mean, there's, there's a ton of people that I see concepts sometimes that are so large and they come to me and I feel like I can't put big stuff into words. I feel like there's a lot of stuff I can, but I feel like these huge breakthroughs are like, it's almost like a key in a door. It's like, mm, I feel like I could figure that out and I feel it coming to me, but it just doesn't come into the right words to where I can actually say it and it all makes sense. So I don't even go there. So I've, I've definitely heard concepts come from the spoken word from other people that are i feel like way on a more deeper level than than i've gone but here's the kicker it doesn't matter because if i hear something from someone else and it's too big of a concept for me to put into words but i read it i read that concept that i didn't think that i would be able to put in the words it doesn't matter because as soon as i read it it now <laughs> resonates in my body and i understand it completely so it's not yeah. so I have to know how to put every everything into because it, it it is a journey. I mean, there's constantly the mouth teaching the ears um, type of thing going on, and like we've said many times before, we are in the technology age, so you have the ability to find truth everywhere if you go find it. You you have the ability to find people that are really far along on their path three quarters on their path, halfway on their path. You just getting started. I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere. If you want to find the truth everywhere. That's the part that's amazing to me these days. Cause yeah, that, that is so, uh, 
inspirational and, and there's so much to be grateful for there there is just such a stream of you know spoken word christ consciousness out there and like you said on every different level that you could imagine it's and um yeah i mean you know it when you hear it for sure super thankful for that yes and i just i just got done reading um hacking the out of body experience which is a follow-up for me um because i went down the rabbit hole of uh, gene hart and um the astral doorway and man what some intense spoken word coming out of that gene hart guy my goodness He's good. He's good. I listened to the first beginner on YouTube yesterday, and uh, ironically enough, the first one, which I haven't finished, that one was um, about uh, the root chakras. And but I love his delivery as well, and especially how it. it let's face it: if you're going to catch flack, where we're at. And I'm just being real. You're going to catch it from Christians in the way that we're talking, because we're talking about concepts of, you know, we are talking about Christ consciousness. We are talking about things that you would hear in church, but the most critical people is and will be people in a belief system led by the Christians. And it is what it is. I've seen it and I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. Everybody's welcome on the podcast. Um, but, but his delivery is very spells it out before he's going to say it. He says, I know this is going to go against, against traditional, um, you know, rote learning. And he even spells it out too exactly the way anyone who would be awakening and then opens up the Bible knows that the Bible is not a literal book form. It's in intuition inspired. It's for someone who has intuition that can read with that gift of intuition and you, it's a Testament. So I don't know. I, I didn't look up the, definition of testament but when i hear testament it's like the noun form of testifying like it's there for someone to go and see that there's spoken word in it and then it's like okay i see it it's almost like the validation of what we have now in spiritual teachers like what's the reason why Cain, you you know four months ago you wanted to turn on you know this person and this person and this person to hear what they had coming from within because it provided you with cuth a comfort that other people had attained this consciousness and it provided you a comfort that first month. So they were testifying to you. It was a Testament, but they were, they were books of the Bible you were listening to. Yeah. You go to the Bible as a Testament. And since I've awakened, I've maybe have opened the Bible 12 times in 20 years. And I may go open it and just, um, you know, read, a christ consciousness quote and be like well yeah i know where he's coming from still the same place 
shut it and don't open for a year. And I may not open it, but the fact that we're doing the podcast probably, but uh, we'll, we'll get into scriptures at some point and kind of analyze those, but I don't have to open it up again ever. I don't have to listen to anyone again, but we do it because it's a Testament, but it is also can be used as a tool for the unawakened person. It is like a curse to an unawakened person and a person of ego and power. Now you're changing the whole game and it doesn't matter if 90% of people are well-intended. It doesn't matter. There's always going to be corruption and there's always going to be that guy who applies his ego and that message. And again, the Christian's rebuttal was we're not perfect. You know what? And I feel like I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but that's just that's <laughs> where it's leading. But um, it, getting back to what the chakra, what's his name? Gene Hart. Gene Hart. So yes, his message is, and it's is so simple, but he explains it as turn off the TV if you're going to be offended, basically, because when I talk about the Bible, it's inspired by intuition. And I know how to pull the stuff out and apply my own tuition because I know that God is omnipotent and that my intuition is within. So you have to be able to see the uh, inconsistencies in the Bible. Your your intuition has to kick in there because you have 20, 30% of the Bible that probably should never have made it there because, oh yeah, we went through 2000 years and, you know, toppling governments for the last 2000 years with corruption times 10. We think our corruption is bad now, but we just went through 2000 years of the worst corrupt times at all. And you think this Bible made it out without any kind of uh, influence? Are you kidding me? No, you have to apply your omnificent intuition now to oversee that. And he does yeah, a great job at it. He is so good with the Bible. Um, and he's he's all it's cross-cultural. He's good with all the ancient religions. He um the one that got me where I was like, whoa, was uh Kali. So Kali is a deity out of uh, Hinduism, out of India. It's it's so funny because I remember early on, like when I was younger, and you're just trying to like understand the other religions, and you just you know kind of quickly look at them, like what is this religion all about? And Kali was this like blue vampire type deity with human heads draped around her neck and like vampire teeth and like claws and i remember like seeing multiple images of her and like i couldn't do anything with it like because my only comparison was like to christ and i'm like how do these people like put this vampire thing with like human heads around their neck in the same in the same vein as Christ like it just looked like that culture was so different when you started to like look at the religion that was the younger version of me and then Gene Hart 
did this whole thing it was in one of the shocker videos and um kali was the mother of gods and supposedly corrupted herself to accept mankind so it's almost like goes back to like the knowledge of good and evil like what that corruption must mean and Colleen, after accepting some of this corruption, took on the um, responsibility to slay the egos that mankind became aware of. So as soon as you become aware of your own ego, this vampire... Colleague creature comes and slays it and then wears it around her neck. And now I look at like the images of this deity and I'm like, this is the most beautiful thing ever. It's, I mean, somebody that would appear and like take claim of that ego that you just became aware of and even wears it in part of her garb. I was just like, wow, like actually that's just as deep and just as interesting as the classic, you know, Christ on the cross. I mean, there's, there's just as much meaning there. And then when you start going through all the cultures and all the symbolisms, I mean, they just stack up. There's so much truth. And uh, somebody like Gene Hart is just, he's just so good on the lit on the delivery. It's, um, a lot of fun to listen to. It'd be interesting because I, I, we're not a patron of anyone, but they they do have those patron programs where you can actually talk to them if if you're a paying member or chat with them or however that goes. It seems like a seems like a pretty cool figure to have on the podcast. Well, yeah, and it's it's nothing. It's like three dollars. I don't know if it's a week or a month. I mean, it's, he just does it because he doesn't want anybody in there that it's not, that doesn't have like at least the smallest level of commitment to the spiritual process. I was just going to say, it could be a way for us to get to some people that you can't really talk to, but you can get to in different forms. Um, Yeah. As a way to invite them on the show. Well, it's funny because I think it was an earlier podcast and we had we were talking about celibacy in, in reference to uh, sexual transmutation. I think that's how I found Gene Hart, because that was kind of like an open question. Like we talked about it and we um, went through it a little bit. But then, I mean, Gene Hart seems to be coming from like a lot of experience in sexual transmutation. And then you realize, like, be careful what you ask the universe because, okay, first is the alcohol. Now I got to figure out this. But it's, um, it's interesting because it's basically, it's not celibacy because you can maintain your intimacy, but you have to restrict um, the actual orgasm. And that's the, the the other thing that he said that like really rang true. I mean, 
in terms of that was he, he went back and explained the idea of immaculate conception and which is weird. Cause like, I've always kind of had like, uh, I, I felt like I was missing some of the understanding. Like, are we saying that like God impregnated somebody or like an angel impregnated somebody, or is this like a dream impregnation or like an astral projection impregnation? Like what's going on with the immaculate conception? But I think he's go goes back in the Gnostic texts and he says that it was through this process of sexual transmutation and because presence is maintained through the intimacy and, and there's no progression towards orgasm that through the intimacy, through the intimacy alone and the, and the presence of the union of the man and woman would just leak a little bit of seed which would then be considered the immaculate conception and according to like ancient gnostic texts if you if you do it that way you're actually procreating on a higher spiritual level but then it applies to like why ancient civilizations may have been on a higher level than modern day civilization. So like Atlantis and stuff like that, where of course, like, I don't know, nobody knows. I mean, go up to the Akashic records and find out, I guess. But when he said that, I was like, Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense in terms of where the idea for immaculate conception would have came from. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, I don't disagree with anything you said, uh, It's going to a whole nother level of, you know, what the chakras are. And, and, uh, I'm grateful for, I've, I've even had stuff come across myself as far as full circle awakening. And I'm going to grab my phone to look at these seven chakras. I've even had moments of, well, maybe this is the full circle moment for me because after looking at the chakras and, and looking and listening to him, let's see here. So basically you have the seven chakras. Uh, I love his, uh, connection to the seven seals in the book of revelation as well yeah that was wicked good it's unbelievable so starting from the top you have the crown of your head which is the crown chakra then you have the third eye then you have the throat and then you have the heart that to me is the upper body uh four chakras right and then from there below you have the solar plexus just under the rib cage and, and you have the sacral and then you have the root chakra and it's, it was super interesting a couple of weeks ago when you told me about that new exercise 
and it caused anxiety. And I could bring that anxiety pretty much at will. And now I've toned it down just a little bit to where um, I just put my attention in the area uh, and and focus. And it, it seems to be subsiding somewhat. But I definitely have not put like devoted time. If you think just me having this knowledge and me thinking about this possibly being the full circle of my awakening when I think of an awakening, I think of these top four. I mean, the, but, and that's one thing that I mentioned the, when Soleil tweeted what she tweeted, I said, well, damn, that's, <laughs> that's top on the agenda when we have you on next time. And, you know, she was obviously gracious and said, look forward to it. Um, but this is one of her strong points as well. I am very intrigued because my devotion on the top four has been insanity. And I, uh, I feel, I feel really confident where I'm at on those top four. And, but I did have moments where after this, this happened in, in a couple of weeks ago and me discovering, you know, these different, doorways the the thought had come up that damn i just opened one chakra and i have six more to go right so there there was a defined moment in the third eye that i knew a door opened and that was enough to send you know me into the awakening that i had and and every that 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 would be a question for soleil too and you i mean i know you've done a lot of uh, research on on the on the chakras but i feel like the top four are intertwined and then i feel like the bottom three are intertwined and i feel like i've given really zero attention to the bottom three until you got into this maybe a couple weeks ago and brought it to my attention yeah i mean according to Gene Hart, you say the top four and the bottom three. It's really three and three. And then the heart is the key. So the heart brings synergy between the top three and the bottom three. So from working the top down, like one one of the ways to create synergy between the two is working on the heart. Because that was the one I felt like I felt the most like right at the moment of awakening, it was like, I noticed it in my breath. And then like, it was, it was so much chest. It was, it was just pure bliss in my chest. And that I think there's something about, um, the way it flows through the heart that, I mean, that's supposed to be the connection between the top three and the bottom three is the heart is what I'm saying. And yeah, it's interesting because so the root would be like your fuel. So that's like all your sexual energy. So like for you and me and for like all normal people, like that's just on a cycle. Like you will cycle through sexual tension and then you will release sexual tension. 
but that's the fuel down there at the root. And then where is it? The flame ends up being in the solar plexlet, solar plexus. And then the air from the heart is what fuels the flame. So it's all like coming up and it's, it's all fueling the heart. And then all that, once you get into the neck and above, it goes into like the direction of like ether and spirituality. So, and, and that's like the less tangible. So all the, all your tangible grounding is happening below the heart. And I'm certainly just now starting to understand this, but one, one of the things about sexual transmutation is just like experimentation. Like, like with alcohol, like you said, it's kind of like just a decision. Like, um, and for me now, I mean, I'm still on the no alcohol decision, which is a huge contrast from where I was before. And it's not because I'm making an ethical conclusion about alcohol. It's not because I don't want to drink alcohol. The only reason I'm doing it, and it seems to be like the best reason I've come up with because it's working, is I have huge respect for my consciousness right now. And specifically, huge respect for my consciousness when I'm going to bed and huge respect for my consciousness when I'm waking up. And alcohol messes with both. So it's just an easy decision not to do it. But the sexual transmutation doesn't quite work that way. It takes practice. It takes discipline. It takes devotion to like push and prolong that transmutation. But I, I, I do think by like day four, like there, there is some tangible evidence that you're system is ramping up so the the entire system of chakras is ramping up and then if you do like one of the you know youtube um guided meditations and you go through like by day four like it's almost like my ears are ringing and my eyes are strobing i mean it's it's pretty tangible the only problem is by like day seven day eight It, it's almost like the system's running super hot. I don't know if there's like a, a hump to get over there because that's about as long as I go at this point. And again, I'm not haven't committed to anything. I'm just hearing it, exploring it, because I mean, it, we've been down the old road before. Like we know where that leads. So the, the only road of like, I don't know, is this road. And so I at least want to dabble in this road to just experiment and see like what's possible. But by day eight, it it's, it's like you put higher octane fuel in your system and it, it takes a lot of focus to maintain awareness because like irritability and stuff kicks in so quick it's um 
it's very, very interesting to play around with. Yeah, it sounds like it. I'm not to your level yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> it's it definitely takes um or the alcohol. I mean I I'm 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 right there with you on that. But I mean I, I haven't experimented as much as you sexually with what you're talking about, but everything you're saying makes hundred percent sense. Um totally. But I mean, in most of my focus, like, because there's no like ethical um, judgment about anything. It's just a matter of energy conservation or or awareness of fluctuations in energy, and that's where. Well, that's the correct way to master things, anyway. Yeah, I mean, never. I'm just master. I don't want to make it sound like I'm making a judgment about sexuality or anything. Right. I mean, I'm not, but in terms of, in terms of just energy conservation, which seems to be one of our themes, I mean, and then, so, but why would you be conserving energy on that level? And that's like another one of my obsessions now where, I mean, I'm trying to respect my consciousness through, through the sleeping hours. And that's one of Gene Hart's big, um, one of his big things in terms of how do you become more productive during those sleeping hours? And he says, make, make sure you maintain that energy. But then if it's, if it sounds too crazy and there is, I think there is kind of like a visceral reaction from the ego. I mean, just even contemplating like going through that. But so there's this other book that I just finished today, hacking the out of body experience. And it's so funny because Gene Hart recommends the book, but then this guy like he doesn't even use the word astral projection. He uses the word out of body experience. He takes way more of a like scientific approach versus a spiritual approach. And he says flat out that he thinks the sexual transmutation stuff is a myth. And so there's one guy going like in a scientific direction. And then there's one guy going in a spiritual direction and they're both saying that they have lots and lots of experience with either astral projection or out-of-body experiences, and they're both getting there in different ways. So I think part of like the knowledge and stuff, and this is where I can definitely steer people wrong because I like dive first, head first into all the knowledge stuff, but a lot of it might just be person to person almost like your diet or something, you know, like not one diet is right for everybody. So take me through your process when you set your alarm for 3 a.m. And what, what happens next? You get out of the bed and you go to a different room? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, in my process now, I change it every time. Like I, um, I always get out of bed. 
I always go down to the basement just because like there's a door that will shut there and the cats because I've tried to do it like in the living room and then the cats just crawl all over me. Um, uh, yeah, so the cat activity right right before you start here was it last night i'm 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 focusing on the evenings a lot too and really you know if i'm going to bed at 10 i'm i'm meditating for an hour and i don't know if it was last night but the night before if i i think i had a really conscious night and i knew i did i mean i i felt almost like conscious and you, you when you wake up you're like man that's what i am but i i remember myself just meditating like i feel really aware but the cats woke me up that night i was so conscious and it's just these weird meows like not normal meows like like energy meows i, I don't even know how to explain it it's not a meow that hey i'm hungry come feed me it's 1 a.m the cat's not supposed to be making noise at 1 a.m they don't ever make noise at 1 a.m. And so it's, uh, I, whenever I have a night like that, it's the, the cat thing is very interesting because there's, there's a lot of energy at play, uh, with cats in the house, specifically at night as they are nocturnal animals. And it seems like if you get that, um, almost spiritual warfare going, like the more present you get in the house, the more, you know, you've, the spiritual warfare can really start manifesting itself on different levels and different realms. Um, yeah, he's got one of the, and I'm trying all kinds of stuff. Um, but one of, one of them was, he says after the alarm, you know, get up, take a sip of water, use the restroom and go lay down and put your heels like towards your butt so like make a pyramid with your legs and lay down on your back palms down and then there's a mantra fa ra on and then the pyramids of egypt in your mind's eye so focus vocally on that keep the pyramids in your mind's eye and while i was doing it the cats kept running like around and through my legs around and through my legs around and through my legs it was so crazy. I was like, this is ridiculous. So that little gap I'd made with my knees, the cats just kept like going back and forth through it, which I've never seen that behavior from the cats before. So it, it, I mean, I don't know what that means or anything, but it was definitely distracting. So I ended up having to set like a little station up downstairs in the basement. Cause I can shut a door off. And uh, so now I do it all the way downstairs. Actually, I do it right underneath where I am right now. And so I've tried little mantras like that. I've tried um, so a lot of guided stuff on YouTube. I've tried the uh, binaural beats. That one's pretty interesting. Um, that is... Um, the brainwave frequency. So they, they try to activate the right hemisphere of the brain and the left hemisphere of the brain with different frequencies. And it's supposed to sync up the two hemispheres. And I mean, that's what they're trying to do. But when you're listening to it, 
it just sounds like it gets really deep in your head. So when I lay down, I put those on, you, you, you know, how like sometimes you can't tell if the sound is coming from outside or if the sound's coming from inside and it creates almost like another dimension of sound. Right. That's what that stuff does for me. So, I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, you can get some pretty interesting meditative states and through the whole process. Like, so I got a really fun question for you. The whole process like somewhere along the lines, because I was a meditator before I had the awakening. Certainly I'm a meditator after I have the awakening. And I'm so old now that there's such a history of meditating, like fix, fixed point meditation, like all different types of meditation. Somewhere along the way, like I confused myself that seeing through the mind's eye was seeing something on the back of your eyelids. So I think the hippogabic state, I think they call it that. So that's a state in between dream and awake. And there is a point where you'll actually have the back of your eyelids will take literal shape so you're actually seeing something but over time i was applying that to like seeing something through my mind's eye so if i wasn't seeing it that clearly i was just saying i wasn't seeing anything through my mind's eye but i learned recently like i or relearned like oh no seeing through the mind's eye is different it's basically just imagining and it's not clear like that like what do you mean when you say i'm seeing something through the mind's eye in terms of like uh the spoken word or something or something that comes to mind uh i would say so just we've talked about like projections before like asking for It's an example. I mean, asking for certain type of wisdom or even asking for an answer with this. I mean, I've, I've always seen like the full circle moment in my mind's eye with almost like a photographic memory of the moment that I. What if, if I say, Think of a pyramid or think of the pyramids of Giza through your mind's eye. How would you do that? So, yeah, with my eyes shut, I'm imagining from my photographic memory what they look like and bringing that to into focus as much as I can, but it's a skill. It's like I meditation for me is more, I mean, there's more looking at the back of the eyelids than there is being able to hold like images in the mind's eye because the mind's eye doesn't really have it's, it's clear, so to speak, like during meditation, unless I want to activate it 
almost. Does it make sense? I mean, I've seen some pretty beautiful things in the mind's eye just by sitting there and wanting to see what would pop up. Places beyond this planet that look way more beautiful than here. But in terms of even when I see thoughts, I see them more as like clouds and shadows than I do as images in, in the mind's eye. Because as soon as I go down a thought stream, the reason why I know that is I'll trick myself to say, you know, if I'm looking at the back of my eyelids and I see black clouds and just seems like matter that's moving across the screen, you definitely, you have that, some some of that going on? On the back of my eyelids, you mean? Yes, just in general, in that darkness. Do you have some type of movement that that goes from right to left or whatever? Yeah, I see a lot from down to up. Down to up, whatever it may be, but those things are attempting to grab your attention, but they don't have a face on them. I or you could play a game because I was like, well, what is that? Is that that's the thoughts going across my screen? So you can actually let your awareness go. Play a game. I I played this game before, and it's it's really, really cool because it is so subtle, like the things we're talking about right now in the mind's eye. We're talking about, like, very subtle things. And for a beginner, it's just about being present. So not saying entertain all these things. Basically, there is no expectation, so I don't want – to confuse anyone like you're expected to do this or expected to do that in meditation. It's just about being present. But going deeper in these concepts, I played the game of, okay, what is, what are those dark clouds? And then let your awareness go. Like, don't be aware anymore. And then, uh, then, then all of a sudden you'll realize like two minutes later, you're in a thought and you can't see those dark clouds anymore. Those dark clouds are empty faces that once you turn your awareness on, you see them for what they are, which are dark clouds that are trying to steal your attention. As soon as you jump into them, then they then they have a mind of their own. So you see them as objects when your awareness and you're in a meditative form. You don't see them as actual images until you jump in it. But they're, they're like magnetic. If you play the game of saying, I'm not going to be aware and I'm just going just gonna to let myself go to sleep, so to speak, in your mind and let yourself go down a thought stream, then become aware when you're in the thought stream. And then when you're like in the thought, like, I don't see anything. Oh, I'm in a dark cloud. Oh, let me pull back. And then you start to see the dark clouds for what they are again. Not images, but like matter or whatever they may be crossing yeah that's that's huge right there because that's you're on to something part of and again like i'm i'm just i'm obsessed in this spot right now of um i i just don't know necessarily what to do with my new understanding of spirituality and there's like this mystical direction of i don't know and i'm just I'm just hurling myself in that direction. But one of the things that you just said that really resonated is you're letting this thought stream go and then you're waking up to it. 
like the more comfortable and the more times that you can like wake yourself up like that's key i know that much so far like so so any any games or anything that you're setting yourself up with like that where you have the experience of waking up because that's the whole you want to be able to maintain the consciousness at all times even when the body goes unconscious and so the more times you can jar it and wake it up like that so i definitely think you're onto something there so one one of the best pieces of advice i was ever given was each time you do that you strengthen your ability for your thoughts not to control who you are. So it's, it's an exercise right. just like doing curls at a gym or running around the block. Right. Each time you pull yourself out of thought stream and your awareness do the work, you're strengthening your presence, so to speak. And, there, and, and, and there's a lot of what's behind those dark clouds too. I mean, there's things that are behind the dark clouds that begin to lose their appeal because you just get, so aware and so strong they actually get less and less i see a lot of contrast and slowing down and speeding up right now when i close my eyes it's almost like slow motion i don't know where that's coming from i'm seeing a lot more strobing now than i ever did uh that that's intense i see the you know when i close my eyes i can see this strobe like i even that you don't remember but like a week before you awakened you called me and there was a level of excitement that you had discovered something. And it was almost that podcast where I was talking about looking down the barrel of my nose and, and breathing in, in the, the, the light. And you had a moment where you, you were doing some type of meditation pre-awakening and you looked down and there was, there was a bunch of strobe action going on. And I, I don't know where that strobe strobe light comes from, but I, it's, it's new to me. But the idea, no matter what, is is presence when you're meditating and and checking yourself just just to see. But there's as far as goals or anything, I mean, it's just about presence. But bringing up the mind's eye is it is a mystery to. understand what's going on there during meditation and the mind's eye for me is like it's not something where i meditate and and i'm just can control my mind's eye a hundred percent to where i know exactly you know how to turn it on and off um because turning it on is more of like an imagination thing um when i really feel the third eye or in moments of non-meditation of um like i said when you put out a seed every time you put out a seed and that seed comes back to you i always get an image of the original day i planted the seed so it's like a full circle moment it's kind of like and i know it's only for me it's it's not it's not it's an intimate moment for each, you know, you and the omnificence of this universe that you put something out and it come back to you and it's really for you alone. But that's the only way I can describe the interactions with the mind's eye. Um, 
on an intimate level. And it's, it's definitely not something that when you start to try to control it during meditation, it can, it can get a little hairy because it's hard. See, that's what I, that's what I've been doing lately. And it's a, and it's all because of the book, the uh, hacking, the out of body experience, because he opens the book and he's talking about the type of mindset you need to be going into a project like this. And he explains what he means by the mind's eye. And he, he basically says it's that process. Like when you read like a good fantasy fiction book or a science fiction book. And if you can read the book or listen to the book and how vivid is the imagination picking up the story. And then, and he's saying like, if, if that is good in you and, and like you can do that. And I felt like he was speaking to me cause I'm like, I'm really good at that. And so I brought that concept into the meditation stuff this weekend. And there was two that I had like a lot of interesting success with. And one was kayaking. So there was, there's a place that we kayak, we kayak a lot as a family. I feel like there's lots of, like we, we've named areas and stuff. Like there's lots of family energy that we've left in this particular place. But if you like, imagine yourself kayaking, like one of the positives, and and I set all this up, like this wasn't by accident, but your hands are always in front of you. So you're laying down, you're keeping your hands for me, I always do face down because that's where they're most comfortable. But you're trying to imagine your hands like up and doing something. And the kayak is perfect because they're just right in your field of view. And then I would just kayak around like these islands that I normally kayak around. So I know them real well. Like when I go back in my memory, like I know this area really, really well. But instead of islands, and they're beautiful islands, there's no reason to mess with them, but just to create like more of a sense of wonder and awe, I turned the islands into pyramids. And so I just, I would kayak around these pyramid islands. And then I'd have like where I would normally look off into the mountains, I would just make those pyramids too. So now I'm in like this weird pyramid island area and i'm in a kayak and i'm i would just and what happens is if i'm so three o'clock in the morning i'm meditating i put myself in this kayak i will get lost in that imaginative state and i'll have to wake myself up but it's a little too jarring like i wake up too hard right now um but that I'll, I'll fall asleep to like me rowing in the kayak. And the other one I do that's really um, helpful is swimming underwater. So I was a lifeguard. Um, I used to do a lot of swimming. But like when you swim at the bottom of the pool and you're doing like that breast with your hands in front of you again. Right. So I that will get super vivid, especially in that three o'clock hour. And I'm going to adjust that three o'clock hour because, I mean, I haven't been successful as far as like lucid or um, astral projection or anything. So I'm I'm definitely 
haven't given my, so I need to keep making adjustments is what I'm saying. But that state of mind's eye, that state of imagination is super strong at that time. Like you, so you set that up. It's almost like playing God. I mean, and it's not like a lucid dream or anything. It's all just in your imagination. You set that up and you can be so into it that you can just fall asleep, right? It will, I can completely lose myself in that. But I'm not, and if I do, it's an, it's an issue because then you just fall asleep. Right. Or, yeah, I mean, same thing as going down in thought stream almost at that point, falling asleep in so, thought stream. Right. So you use it to pull you in, but you can't let it pull you in too far. It's like walking on uh, a tightrope. So rope. that's the doorway from what Gene describes? That's the doorway well, if you stay th- This is the, the, the other guy, the out-of-body experience. Okay, happening. so he's saying go there. Yeah. And stay conscious. As soon as you lose that consciousness and you have to wake yourself up, you've defeated the whole purpose. Right. Right. Well, not. Yeah. If you fall asleep, you've defeated the whole purpose. Correct. But it's I mean, all, it's all practice. Just like what you were saying before. It's all, it's just like doing rep. It's all practice. It's all trying to dial in your specific things that are going to specifically work for you. But there's a long way of saying like, I'm just now starting to understand like what the mind's eye is. I think it's, it's really interesting for me because it seems like the places where I might have always been weak at as far as, and I mean, to say that I've been, I don't know if weeks the correct terminology, but haven't explored it more than what it is. The lower chakras in the mind's eye. I've just taken it for what it's worth at this point, but those two doors you seem to be pushing harder at. And, and all the time that I've been doing it, I haven't, it's just pretty cool to see like, stuff that I haven't dove down within a couple months. You're already diving into those areas where, I mean, I wouldn't even been able to tell you about the lower three chakras. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to understand that even after awakening, there's, there is a sense of knowledge and wisdom that you can always get, but it's incredibly helpful to do what we're doing now with, with more people involved and, and building, you know, what we're building as far as a, you know, a group of people that um, are are on the same page with awakening. But there's certain things that you can't get but from another person, and you're really seeking out uh, to find out if there's any doors that aren't open. And the lower shockers for me seems like that could be something because I, the whole concept when he talked about the intelligence of the body from the root up and there being intelligence from here. Now I look at the, 
you know, from the root all the way up to the crown as intelligence now, as opposed to meditation that may have been all in my head, uh, all in the back of my eyelids. I look at intelligence in the gut now and in the whole region and and at, at the bare minimum, I incorporate it in meditation now at the bare minimum, along with breathing and the other things that I've, that I've added. And it's probably all in perfect timing as well. I mean, when you have an awakening and, and everybody says it's a journey and you're going to love the journey. And it's like, man, how can every day that goes by the discovery after discovery is like, well, the journey is exactly what it is. It's a journey that really never ends. It constantly reveals itself constantly it just is a never-ending um source of understanding and wisdom that you're constantly tapping into it's pretty crazy it's it's early on you you sent me that uh video where you you did your matrix um equivalency where you said you've been down this road before you know where this road leads i mean that's that's like the whole state i mean there's so many road. i know where that road leads and so when you think about and and i know how jarring it is to like pop out of conditioning and i know how how unconscious you can be but at the same time also so sure of yourself so i don't necessarily feel like i always know where the road is now or where i'm trying to go but i know i have to do something different so like set an alarm at three o'clock like why did you stop drinking in the first place you know why did you have you know, an astral projection experience in that first week anyways. Like, how does any of this stuff add up? And then it's just like, okay, I can can at least commit to breaking my own conditioning. I can at least commit to, you know, setting 3 a.m. alarms on the weekend. Like, that's kind of easy. And then push yourself in that path of, you know, I don't know where this road leads. And you have to kind of keep yourself in check because you don't want to be like experience seeking. But at the same time, it's almost like every time I meditate now, I mean, it doesn't matter like what level of devotion I even put into it. Like it's, it's all like some kind of wonderful experience at this point. Like it, it, that, if I go in that direction, it never disappoints me. So, and then like, what are the possible benefits? I mean, if you actually do come out and there's some kind of personal experience, that's obviously just for you. I mean, it would be pretty hard to like start talking about like an experience where you're out and you go away and receive knowledge that's not even from here. 
I mean, that's, that's going to be a real hard experience to talk to, but I, I can also imagine what like an experience like that would be on the individual level. Like that's, that's all, all the progression I think is there. No doubt. The progression is there. It's inspiring to watch you. I mean, it's inspiring for um, when having in a, a young awakening the way I did, the the level of dormancy after years and years and years and, and, and just not having, you know, the platform like we have now. So, I mean, to come to where it is now, it's, it's inspiring for me to see you to, for me to constantly, you know, open doors, go down this door, just keep you on your toes spiritually. Cause it's, we don't know what's going on in different rounds, but I see bits and pieces of it. And I feel like it's freaking nuts, man. I feel like there's a bunch of spiritual warfare going on, um, on a level that's so intense. Um, did I text you what, 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 what happened on Twitter? The demon thing, yeah. Did I text you that? Yeah, yeah. I didn't talk to you today. Um, you were busy today, but I meant to ask you about it. Just in general, there's. I mean, anytime you you stay committed to presence, you're you're definitely stirring something up in another realm, and I am intrigued by what's going on there. Just by your lady at the pool moment. Um, and I mean, I turned it on and I saw it and it, it was literally like jumped out of the screen, but then I scrolled and I was like, that's not a game, is it? And then it just, I, I, I started to second guess myself. I was like, what did you just see? And then I thought, well, the game there's never been that gory of a game. That was, that was, that was not a game because there was no advertisement there. It was, it was, it was gone. It was, I, I opened it up, it popped in. And then all of a sudden I was in Twitter and there was no, you know, nothing there. And I was looking back and I was like, that was like from, it looked like from I am legend but it was completely covered in blood from the top of the head. And there might've been some clothes on, but the face and the head was like bald, just like in I am legend, but there was, it was all blood. It was all red. And it just had so much aggression coming at me. And which didn't even like stuff like that. Wouldn't, I mean, it doesn't startle me. It's just more intriguing of, what do we not understand that's going on uh, in the entity world where these things are thriving and, you know, you start to see it less and less with your family. So there's not much going on there as far as, you know, having the ability to get, get to me through family. Cause it's just, it's, it settles in and, 
pretty good to go, but it's the, it's the anomalies that you see. It's the anomalies of that. It's the anomaly of you as sitting by a pool and someone looks like they get completely taken over by agent Smith and confront you. And none of that has any power over what we're doing. So it is a bit comical, but that road to see and understand more of that spiritual warfare on another level. It's, it's something I I definitely love to see because you, you definitely know you're, you're blazing a trail because it's, it's not well received in some realm. Yeah. Yeah. That, and there was no fear from me. No. Yeah. No, there was none. There was none. There was more. It was in true when I saw it. It was. There's nothing more confirming to me for me to see an anomaly like that to know that um, it just gives me more confidence in the path that we're going down. I mean, you're, we're broadcasting truth on the airwaves that anyone on the globe can hear. That's substantial. That is substantial. Yeah. That's very vibrant vibration frequency over the airwaves. It is not real well received. Just not. I've seen one thing I've had the ability to do just for longevity is see the spiritual warfare game especially of the person that puts out truth. I mean, you've seen it a little bit with Osho and how they attacked him, but I've seen over the years the spiritual warfare. And you can you can break it down in meditation. Those, those dark clouds would love your attention. They would love my attention. That's what they're there to do is feed. They would love nothing more than to feed on you with your attention. As soon as you don't give your attention, you take all your power back. And it's like, you just see like the Tasmanian devil just starts spinning and doesn't even know what to do at that point because it can't get attention from something so simple as, as a human mind anymore. But there's something even more larger. That's what's in the meditation Right. There's, there's a way more larger collective demon that we're up against when you're when you're putting out vibration on on the level that we're putting it out. We're no longer dealing with small level demons. We're up to large demons. <laughs> <laughs> We've moved up in the world. We have moved up. We're taking on, we're taking on Satan himself. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one thing that, uh, like that fear in, like the old version in sleep paralysis and, Verse like what's happening now. Like 
there's something about waking up paralyzed that always created a fear response. Like it wasn't even necessarily afraid of anything. It's just like panic because you can't move. Like it's a, it's a unsettling feeling. So like the mechanics of it are so easy to understand. Like, so that unsettling feeling would jolt and then that would manifest something unsettling. And then you're in a fear spiral then. But that panic was so good at like creating one of those wake up moments like you were talking about earlier. Like that fear and that panic like that <gasps> is, is such a good wake up moment that's just gone now. It's just gone. And then on the other side, like the trying to do it in a different way it's like all devotion and practice it's almost like there was a shortcut back there that i that i never used and now i don't know if i'll ever get it back because i mean there's been enough time now where like i know my sleep paralysis patterns like i should have had a few by now so i don't think it's coming back but it was like There's a whole range of experience back there that I think all you had to do is calm down and shake yourself out from that spot. I think that puts you right at the right spot. But now you're trying to work towards it from like this new different spot. And that's one of the things that like Gene Hart talks about like the devotion and then taking off and because we we definitely have this experience of like a, a new relationship with fear but what he's talking about in terms of the confrontations that he ends up having it's exactly what you what you said it is satan it's 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 walking in the realms of hell not the way we talk about it in the earthly realms i mean this is like the biblical hell this is like the lower frequencies of existence where the level of unconsciousness is to such a degree that they're basically like i am legend zombies and you walk amongst them in that astral projection? Yes. Wow, that's intense. Yeah. That's intense. So it's not just... Yeah, but you're, you're talking about the transmutation that must be going on yeah. in those moments? Absolutely, wow. because he, he tells a story of, like, shooting stuff out of his hands. Oh, my gosh. Dang. He tells I really want to wake up at 3 a.m. now. Oh my gosh, this would be like, <laughs> this is real life zombie shit. Mm-hmm. That, so, I mean, in terms of that, that's what I'm saying. So you have this progression, you have this spiritual progression going on and it's true. Like 
I, I do think you're going to be tested in the direction of fear in new directions that like we couldn't even imagine before. And I can can see that. I mean, he, he specific, I mean, he says out loud that what he thinks he's doing and it's just like Dante's Inferno, which has, you know, multiple layers of hell. Right. Like it's not just one. I mean, there's multiple layers and all it is, is like more and more unconsciousness. He tells a story about where he thinks he was, maybe it might be the same story, but he thinks that specific zombie zombie place might've been like an overdose place. So like, um, addiction overdose. Right. But he, he talks about other places. He talks about being caught in them and having to get out. Like you have to get out by your own will and your own energy. So you're walking into the trap of hell, like specifically testing, it seems like your ability to get out of it. That's fascinating. So, yeah. And I know enough about like you and I to where that concept's not all that foreign for us. So, I mean, talk about full circle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I've had, I've had moments where you would say you're in, in a place like that where you can remember your dream and you actually are somewhat conscious in your dream. And I'm not saying it lasts for more than a couple of minutes. And then, you know, when you can remember your dream, maybe that after an hour, you can't remember any of it. A lot of that happens as well. But I do know there's times that I was very conscious in my dream. I'm, and I'm, I'm doing something in a place. I don't know where the hell I'm at. And I'm conscious. And I recall even, do you recall times where you're conscious in a dream? You're like, okay, I'm going to really concentrate on remembering this because I want to like tell my family or tell someone. I've actually, yeah. do you remember times doing that? Like, hey, I'm conscious now. Can we stay conscious like for an hour or two so I can explain this in the morning? <laughs> but right. it never works out because you you have the recollection recollection for you know a couple hours but the more time that goes by it's like just the window keeps closing 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 and then all of a sudden you can't remember any of it or maybe even a, just a t- tiny snippet of it that's all discipline and devotion in terms of the journal I mean, yeah. if if you're going to go this route, I mean, the journal has to be there. You at least have to get keywords. Yeah. You, you, I mean, to try to, so you have like the out of body experience and then you have like the gene heart spiritual experience. The one way says that you have to teach the, the merging of the conscious and subconscious. So you have to blend your subconscious and conscious like you have and you have to do that throughout the day as well. Like you've got to you've got to create disciplines and. um, Little tricks, I mean, it's something you have to be aware of and working on all the time, 
But then if you take it to the gene heart direction and it's all a spiritual thing and you're going off as an energy body, actually investigating other worlds, like how is the memory stored? You're, you, you're not of form. Like, where's the memory storm? Like I, it's, and so you, you come back to the body and then does, according to the gene heart theories, how good is your energy body at communicating with your form body and that transfer of memory so as you get back you would literally have to transfer that memory into the form and then in form you would have to be super disciplined to start writing that down right away so it's fun for me to look at it from all those directions though like the scientific and the spiritual because i think um i mean i'm i'm i definitely lean more in the spiritual direction these days but understanding it scientifically i think helps your process as well and especially like in terms of trying to do stuff like so so trying through your subconscious to interact with your conscious therefore it would also work in reverse in terms of like trying to remember dreams because that is also scientific and that is also spiritual. Like we know now that even if you don't remember, you did dream. And according to the spiritual theory, even if you don't remember, you probably dreamed and astral projected. You're just unconscious. Correct. So now you're in one of those realms he's talking about where you're walking around and maybe it's not that lower level of hell. Maybe it's in some kind of purgatory spot, but you haven't ascended yet because in order to go up there, you need your consciousness. <laughs> so as your astral as he's doing this, I mean, he's, he's hitting levels of existence where you and I are walking around every night, completely unconscious and unaware that we're there. But that's, what's really driving me right now is I have so much respect for my awareness and my consciousness. I just can't accept that it's going away from me for like a third of my life. And so I just feel really committed and obsessed where I'm like, I, I need to, I need to maintain it. And no, it's impressive. The devotion is impressive since you brought up the, um, different places of, of hell. What's your take on heaven and hell now? I don't think we've ever delved into that realm of, of obviously culture and religion and belief system is of a place uh, one of punishment and one of achievement as though it was taught 
So what is your spiel on heaven and hell now? Oh, yeah, it's funny because a lot of it does seem like achievement and a lot of it does seem like punishment, but it's entirely self-directed. So it's only the achievements that you make within yourself and it's only the punishment that you dish out to yourself. And then to what degree and stuff does that manifest? And it seems like it just, it manifests like almost to the level of infinity in every direction. I mean, there's no end to the manifestation. But here. Yeah, here is like a microcosm of that. So, you know, as above, so below. So here in, in the individual or in, or in the community, it's just, yeah, our ability to put ourselves in our own hell, our ability to be so unconscious that we're unaware of the pain and suffering that we cause all around us. And then the inverse of that, you know, through our presence and consciousness, do we lift up our surroundings and push it in more of a direction of enlightenment and push people around us in more of a direction of enlightenment. I think it's just a microcosm here for what exists in the other realms. But something that can be attained here, I mean, you could say that most people die having never lived, but that would be the example of hell on earth dying having never lived you can get to the point of awakening to have somewhat of a symbol of heaven on earth just in terms of your physic like your chest everything you talked about being bliss now although still a microcosm but i'm saying like there is nothing you're waiting for right right and that's the whole thing is like, I'm in this weird position where I'm working backwards because I have such, I have this tangible understanding of, I mean, just pure joy on, on a spiritual level. I mean, all the way to the point of like, I don't want anything else. It's just like pure content. And, and that was achievable here, like in this form. Which is the opposite of not being whole. Right. Or unconscious. Right. And that's kind of what I, what I mean from like my point of view, like what does that look like if you manifest it out to infinity? Like that, that I, I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly can't put that into words. And, but I mean, if you take presence and awareness and you push it out that way, I mean, that's a real easy concept of heaven for me to understand and be comfortable with. And then the inverse of that would just be unconsciousness and then different levels of unconsciousness. Like that's one of like... Today, like right now, that's one of my biggest triggers is, and it's funny because it works as a trigger for my own consciousness, but like those people who are 
in life and are very specifically very much like on display in their unconsciousness like it almost turns my attention like jerks my head and my response is all is always quiet aware like i get super present it's almost like there's an inverse reaction going on there but it makes you wonder what would happen and if you were able to project project yourself in a place where there was a very unconscious realm, what that must be like, because according to my calculations, (laughs) that's going to, (laughs) that's going to, that's going to rise a lot of presence in me, a lot of awareness. And Gene Hart, he he tells he tells that story too. So he talks about he talks about like a rebound effect. So I can't remember like why he found himself. Like anybody who's listening who's interested, I mean, this guy's channel is amazing. Check him out. Um, he tells the stories way better than I do. But he talks about a rebound effect where so he winds up in this level of what he quickly understands is a hell and part of his escape mechanism is like it's so crazy because it's straight out of the freaking matrix it's that superman jump straight up so he's flying up flying up flying up but then he loses all control and he just like wormholes up for like a long period of time and then the way he sees it, he finds himself in some level of heaven that's like the exact rebound from where he just was at the hell. Mm. And he'll tell the story about like this heaven that's like full of like whale creatures and dolphins and humans that are all in the water and they're all like swimming around and like the whole place feels like complete bliss. And there's just like water people and and whales and dolphins and they all talk, you know telepathically and there's just bliss and love and that's all you can feel yeah the mental image of the great white woman popped into my head have you seen that lady no when you whenever you get a chance look up woman who swims with great whites just there's only one person in the, on the earth who does it and she's uh very um She's like a surfer girl. I mean, she's very attractive. She must be in her thirties. She's um, not the type of person that you would think she swims with great whites, like jaws. She has all her arms and legs. She does it without tanks. Yes. It's remarkable. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, spiritual warfare. I can't believe I didn't tell this story, but, um, this is a crazy story and this is on the lines of how spiritual warfare looks the way I see it and how it goes from person to person and how it affects, um, just an energy field of, of where you're at, how it comes to be. 
there's a there's a couple examples I have. The other one with my youngest child. That's uh, it just involves too many people, so I I won't go down that road with her story. But there was an episode with with her this week as far as spiritual warfare. Um, but Hayden is um, she's almost eighteen and she works at a grocery store, as you know. Uh, well, I don't know if you know she works at a grocery store, but. Um, She's been having an issue with a customer that walks around the store and doesn't buy anything and seems to be intimidating her on a level of like spiritual warfare. And she would come home and tell me this story and be like, Hey, this this," and to the degree that she's telling me about it. Obviously she's, she's got some fear about this guy. So like she tells the story of, you know, him walking by the register and just coming down her register and just looking at her and just with a demonic face. I'm like, wow. And I said, does he do it to anyone else? And she's like, no, it's, he seems to be singling me out. And then, (laughs) and then, um, so she actually, she went to the grocery store with it and, you know, obviously they're, it's very odd because people tell you to blow the whistle nowadays. If you see anything that's not right, but then when you do blow the whistle, I don't know if you've ever blown the whistle early in a stage, there's pretty much nothing anyone can do unless they break the law. So why the hell do you even blow the whistle? Like it's, it's, it's blowing the whistle is, is a weird thing in itself. But when you see a mass shooting on TV, they all say the warning signs were here. But if you have a good Samaritan who's highly sensitive, which I think Hayden is in this realm, and she's saying something doesn't look right here. Nobody really listens until that mofo brings a gun in there. And then everybody wants to listen. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's what happens the way it does. So anyway, this happened like four or five times to the degree that the grocery store said, okay, file a police report. She, um, she told them what was going on and they said, there's nothing you can do about it basically. So Sunday, when was it? Today's Tuesday, Sunday. I was, I always do a little work on Sunday for Monday. So I was sitting Lunch was almost ready. Patty was cooking a, a, a lunch and Hayden got off at one o'clock and she called at 1245 and she said that guy was there. And I said, well, I'll, I'll come up there and, and we'll see if he's still there. I live about 15 minutes away. So I drove up there so I could walk her out. Cause he was there at an odd time of right when she got off. So he could, you know, possibly follow her out to her car or, um, whatever. And at this point I'm, I'm, I'm hearing her and I know she has some fear, so I'm just going to do my due diligence. So I don't, other than that, I don't know that, you know, he's given her some eat shit looks, but today in particular, he came into the store and this is what she described. She was training something at the self-checkout, which is where Hayden works and her, his very first steps were to walk straight in and she said he brushed by me to where I could feel the wind from his walk straight past me, which self-checkout is pretty wide. You don't have to, like, walk right by someone. 
And then when he got 10 feet past, she said he turned his face around deliberately, looked at Hayden and gave her like the biggest eat shit look like angry face or whatever. I'm like, that's odd. It's odd. So I, I went down there and he was still there. He hadn't bought anything. Nobody in the grocery store seems to think there's anything wrong with that. You have someone who's in the store that is, and we also find out he's mentally unstable. So he's a patient at the um, mental hospital or getting medication, whatever you do there. And he's walking around. So all he does is pace around the store but the store has no authority to tell someone like that to leave. I thought it was mind boggling because you, it's almost like loitering. You can't just go in a store and like intimidate people and not buy anything. You got to have some level yeah. of authority. You, you can't just be like, well, I can't do anything. But obviously from what everything was from everything I learned, they can't do anything, which is bizarre to me because this is a blow the whistle moment. Like you have someone who's, known to have mental issues which means to me like they're really lost in thought which means they're highly manipulative to thought which is dangerous because the person driving that ship is not in control and it's only one bad thought away so i come through the self-checkout i see hayden and then i was like where is he so we walk out to the main aisle right in front of the right in front of the registers and he's walking from the ice cream towards me and he sees me about 50 yards standing next to Hayden and he just, he starts chuckling. He starts chuckling right when he, right when he sees me. I thought, wow, I don't know this man. He just started chuckling. Like I'm talking 50 yards away. He sees Hayden. He sees me. He goes, Almost like that. I'm like, okay. And then Hayden's like, don't go up to him, dad. He's supposed to be dangerous. Don't, don't, he's, you know, she's, she's got a lot of fear in, in her. So he's walking up to me. And after he laughs, I don't see any intense emotions or anything right before he gets to me. He does a hard left. So I have to like, Hey, Hey, sir. Hey, excuse me. Excuse me. So I like flag him down and I put my hand out. And introduce myself, and he says, or whatever, I don't even know if he said his name. And I said, Whatever you're doing, you're scaring my daughter. And she's back, she's standing right there, back behind me, about 10 feet. And he turns to her and he says, Or I think he told me first, he's like, Yeah, I got, I got some mental issues. I, I'm, I'm about to go on disability. And, um, I've been diagnosed with schizophrenia and he turned to Hayden and he's like, I'm sorry, you just have to overlook me. And at the time I didn't see anything and he started walking away again really quickly. And I flagged him down and I asked him again, I said, is she doing anything to provoke you in any way? Cause if so, I'd, I'd like to know is, is she provoked? Is like, is there something she needs to like, whatever you're doing is unsettling her. 
and he said pretty much the same thing, walked off again. Um, but that man is not free. Like he is so wrapped up in thought that, you know, he's a schizophrenia level and he's walking around a grocery store and not buying anything. The moral of the story is, yeah, that goes on every day, but also the undeniable, like, spiritual warfare going on because he's is almost to the level of hallucinations like he's not seeing hayden as hayden like he's turning and looking at her as as whatever he may see like something more along the light of a light spectrum just from the energy field where you know our house and everything that he's seeing and and has disgust for it but it, but when he saw me there was no I couldn't find anything in him at face value that looked obviously I know he's got mental issues going on. Um, but I, I shook his hand and I, I remember trying to hold his hand with my present hand for as long as possible. Like you're going to feel that. You're going <laughs> to feel that. Um, but it was interesting because when you when when I look at an individual like that, they're unconscious, and you know there there could be some chemical imbalance going there on there that I'm unaware of, um, and something far beyond what I or meditation or anyone could fix. So I, I don't I, I met that guy for two seconds, so I don't I don't know. But I do know, like, he's, like, lost in thought to the degree he's unconscious, and he's gone down that rabbit hole of unconsciousness all the way, the way you're talking about devotion. His level of devotion to the unconscious is the same way you have been for the last two weeks. And my point, we've been talking about hell and heaven, is what... Consciousness obviously has a leader. Like you follow the spoken word. You follow the flow. You follow that intuition. You follow that guiding light. You follow what resonates within you. You have you have something that resides in you that you can bounce things off of people that of light. But the leader of unconscious is what I'm interested in because it's the, it's the same thought processes of the, which get, you know, the Ted Bundy's of the world uh, that didn't originate from Ted Bundy, you know, when he was a baby or, or the guy at the grocery store who's schizophrenic, there's a leader of the unconscious and call it whatever you want to call it. But what do you think that is? Because there. There's a leader, so to speak, so intense that gets people to do things that they wouldn't do. And it's so much more prevalent now that you see in the stories, like even there's a couple even murder stories where the actual murder, and you can tell they're sincere, they don't even understand how they committed the murder. Like it was literally like they thought they were sleepwalking. And a lot of, I mean unless you get to the level of Ted Bundy where you just embrace the beast 
and you almost become the beast, so to speak, to where you 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 almost want the glory from it. But ninety nine percent of the people that carry out a bad thought is momentary, and then they and then they're in jail for however long. Obviously, regretful. What do you see the leader of that un- unconsciousness in? Because there's got to be direction on that side too. Yeah, if you mechanically just try to reverse it, like so what happens with presence is, like you said, I mean, you follow the spoken word, you follow, but it's it's all each other. Like you recognize it in somebody else. And so it all comes from us. And then I think it'd be the same way. Like just to use your story as an example, I mean, by her own admission, Hayden got to the point somehow where she had a fear response, like just in this guy's presence, which I'm sure caused some kind of fear response in him escalating, which, I mean, that's why he turns back. He go walks by her and turns back. He's probably thinking that, you know, some some that he needs to watch his own back. I mean, that's that's his fear response. Mm. So this the same way that it happens for us. I think it happens. I mean, obviously Hayden being young. I mean, she's not doing anything wrong, especially an eighteen year old girl. We want them to have fear responses with weird men. I mean, to watch themselves. But I mean, you can tell by the way when you walked up to him or like I've seen like Rebecca with many people along those lines. And when you don't approach them with fear, it's it it seems to change the equation quite a bit. Yeah, I've seen that's, that's a crazy killer point and and she could have unconsciously provoked him but that's on a spiritual warfare level like she doesn't understand what she's doing uh, right but that that same point that you just made i feel like if i would have had 30 minutes of the guy could have went a long way he yeah. wouldn't he wouldn't have won in 30 minutes he wouldn't have won in 31 minutes he wouldn't have won in 32 minutes and it would just have been a matter of time at that at that point yeah, because once somebody gets at that point, like nobody gives them 30 minutes anymore. Yeah, but I, I literally wanted to give him 30 minutes. I'm sure. He, yeah. he he walked away too quickly. I even told Hayden, I said, don't be startled if he comes back to you and he says, hey, I would like to talk to whoever that was. I said, just give him my phone number and don't say anything else. Don't overreact. Just do it and I'll come down and I'll see him right away. Because I, I, I know how seeds work and I know how it works on an unconscious mind for sure. And his mind was super unconscious. And I feel like he had like 45 seconds of consciousness. And like, yeah. And that's, ex- that's exactly right. And what ha- he's, so everybody that he comes in contact with, he starts this fear response mechanism and you finally stood up to it but he doesn't even understand how to be in that, in the presence of that. Just walked away. So he just has to walk away, right? Very fast. 
And that's really like the difference between like you and Rebecca, because Beck does that same thing. But then she's like also female and she's also, I mean, about the most non-confrontational style person that you could be. So they'll stay there with Beck. They won't walk away from her. And so I've seen that a couple of times. It's very, very interesting. But I mean, there's... I mean, to, to ask like what the source is, I think it's this, I think it's just the same thing. It's just an inverse reaction, but on the unconscious level, like it's like you were saying last week, I mean, we're always manifesting. I mean, we, we always have that like God type quality of creation and if you're unconscious, that's unfortunate because, yeah, you could be you could be adding your attention and your weight to these realms of unconsciousness that are gaining strength all the time. But, I mean, you're just doing it on an unconscious level. And, I mean, I don't know what the feedback loops are in, in that stuff, but, yeah, you're you're manifesting in that direction, which isn't good and you're not even aware of it verse you know going the other way and you're you're taking your manifestation you're taking ownership of your manifestations i mean that's such a great example of just standing there looking him in the eye and you know making the stand there okay like i'm bringing my consciousness to this situation and that made it not confrontational because and that made it not it wasn't confrontational, confrontational right? at all honestly i mean because it was really just a presence thing. And, at the, you know, I consider a person like that one of the most dangerous people in the world, but also one of the most easiest people to help. Those Both of those yeah. are in my mind at the same time. I'm walking up to a guy that I know yeah. is capable of the most dangerous things, but also capable of a deck of cards happening right now, like yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. And that That's a beautiful thing too. Cause it, you can't just walk up. I can walk up to a thousand people in a grocery store. The one guy that has a change chance is probably the one that's most dangerous in the head. But as far as like you, you're talking about like the ability to like wake someone up that same day, that would be, that would be the guy that that compassion um is just so much easier when you just look at it mechanically like that where you you don't have to put so much responsibility on the individual you can just say you know father forgive them because they don't know what they do i mean they're just unconscious to that level and it, it just opens the door for so much compassion when you see it like that. Yeah, I didn't have time to even ask another question or, or anything because in retrospect, you think of what's what's the, if you have a moment and you have eye contact, what's the one question or the one statement that's going to spiritually take control and what I came to in retrospect 
at the time he he walked off there was no time there may be time in the future i'm sure I'm, i'll see the guy again but in retrospect the only question that came to me to ask in that moment was do you want to be free and to ask it in a very present way very non you know is that it is do you want to be free to me someone who's schizophrenic and i all of a sudden they what's that intuition that they have in that sees that authentic presence i think that's what what i come up with uh, well for a person every person may be different but that's like the question and then it becomes well at that moment, do they see something in me that they trust and love? And if they do, then that question becomes like a sword. We should try to investigate, like, is there an example of some kind of spiritual awakening within schizophrenia? Like, do we have like one example That'd be interesting to know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, you, you remember B- Bill, right? I mean, I feel like I have knowledge of that whole process. Oh, yeah. From, I do remember From Bill. start to finish. And knowledge and just seeing how that whole thing goes from beginning to end and I it seems to be a very negative relationship with your thoughts and the thoughts seem to like it seems to be a very intense spiritual warfare it seems to be, yeah, and I, he's, I, I don't think it's uh, on the level of like chemical and cuz he was well he definitely never should have smoked pot because I, I remember his paranoia kicked in so hardcore after that. and Correct, but what is it invokes paranoid thinking. Yeah. It's, yeah, but they say now, like, you have to be careful with, especially the kids. Like, you have to kind of know, like, what you're possibly biologically tuned for. And he was one of those candidates who never should have smoked pot and then went ballistic with it and then i mean his paranoia was i remember talking to him i mean his paranoia was just off the charts oh his awakening would have had to i mean he would have to let the pot go because it wasn't it was a hindrance to him so much that he he started smoking pot too young so he was he was going to be the person to have that awakening. He wasn't going to be able to do it even in his adult life. Cause he had some kind of, he had some kind of reaction to, to pot and what it does with your, your thoughts. I mean, we've all been in paranoid thought stream before, but you, when you see a person, all it is to me is it just takes on that extra form of now, Paranoia is one thing and it's scaring you or fearing you when it becomes you like it takes a bit of ownership. Like you become 
the thoughts. They they begin to like steer you. There begins to be no separation at all. There begins to be no awareness at all. You begin to be like the the unconscious uh thought person of, of what whatever rabbit hole that's going to go down it becomes that entity of um you know what it is we're constantly manifesting so if you manifest in that direction with that kind of formula then you can manifest a schizophrenic i mean it's pretty simple to see but then again if i had all the knowledge that i had and you know not saying that he was a willing person but I think that person is relatively easy to wake up if they recognize what love is and if they recognize how to trust a person, how to trust authority. Cause that comes, that's the key factor is in that moment and, and I'm in sales. So I look to connect with people. It's not necessarily as deep as whatever, but when I shake someone's hand or sit down with them, I want them to trust me. I want them to feel something other than, a surface level salesman. I want to have a connection, but I think it's everything when you're seeing a person who's mentally unstable, that, that trust and love is established immediately. Cause you, you have yeah, well, that authority. How, how would they be capable of that in that state? Like you said, their identity is now in trust, the paranoia. Oh. I mean, her, yeah. his, his state was not the same when I was right there with him. Yeah. It wasn't the same. He had no reaction to me. He didn't start flipping out. He didn't want to stay there. There's obviously yeah. a trust thing. He didn't want to open up or talk or anything. So that's understandable. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. But I think there's got to be no matter how far you've gone, still always something in you that can see when you're suffering. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know, like, in the Osho files, I mean, he had all those homeless people in the in the camp at one time. I mean, was there an example of somebody entering his presence and snapping out of schizophrenia. And I think it's more along the lines as that, because the next question was, do you want to be free? And if the answer is yes, close, close your eyes. And what do you see? Do you see any light at all? No, I don't see anything. And I say, is a black, black, blacker than black, all black, no light, which when I close my eyes, you're going to see something sparkles, whatever there's light in you. But there is people that see black, black. At that point, it becomes type of exorcism style because you have to use your energy to pull it out because there is no, there's got to be a trust or he's got to see something in me to where there's an ounce of trust to, to let you in the door, even not even seeing clearly. But that becomes an energy game at that point because he is complete, completely yeah. blind when you're seeing black, black. And it becomes an energy warfare at that point. Like you have to coax it out, but you have to coax it out. And and then that's when the reactions may come. 
Yeah, and that can't happen at a supermarket. <laughs> no, but that I was say I was looking in retrospect. I was like, dang, I would if 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 the guy was stood there, I would have stood there for thirty minutes, and I wouldn't have gone anywhere, and I would have just stayed right there for thirty minutes. And and if he had accepted the invitation to chat, I would have done it right there, right there on the aisle. Yeah, how beautiful would that have been? Like you turn a moment into like nobody wants to do about the anything about this guy who's walking around. We already know we're supposed to blow the whistle on anything that doesn't look right. So we blow the whistle on something that doesn't look right. There is no one listening because nowadays you people say that, but in reality, we all have like rights here. Like you can do you don't go to jail if you don't break the law. Right. It. So the only thing you can do is like raise awareness that something may be going on, but it's not like you, you can't take action like that against a person. The only thing you can do is, 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 is try to help that person in a, in a present kind of way. So you hope it doesn't get to that level. But if that guy doesn't get the right kind of help, it's pretty inevitable. I mean, I don't, I don't. Yeah. The exorcism is interesting. I love it. It's, it's, it's super powerful at a per with a person like that. Um, just only taking just a couple questions and a, just an ounce of trust to get in there and then start stirring up. I try to do it with the handshake just to keep my hand there as long as possible. Right. And again, I don't know. That's why I told Hayden, I said, if the guy approaches you, just give him my number and leave or just don't overreact, but stay tuned for this one. To be the first one. Yeah, for sure. So the moral of the story is we need to start at mental facilities. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good place to start. Jails and mental facilities. Yeah. How's your itchy palm doing? Good. Go ahead and put your finger on your palm. That was so funny when you said you felt the nail because I literally cut my nails that day because I got tired of digging my nail into my palm. Really? So I've been doing hardcore reality checks with the finger palm method, trying to push my right fingers through my left palm as a um, awakening trigger in dreams. And... (laughs) Luke busted out in a conversation like my left palm is super itchy. I can't figure out why. I was telling that I'm jamming my finger into it as hard as I can all yeah, the time. I'm like the uh You're like the pin cushion. The pin cushion now. My family brought it to my attention that if your palms are itching uncontrollably that that means that you're about to come into some money. So I was like, "Bring it on." Oh, there you go. Your palms itching is supposed to be a sign of money that's fixing to start coming your way. I wish it'd hurry up so we can like 
go do retreats in Wyoming and shit. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine a retreat in Wyoming? Have you seen (laughs) that Devil's Tower? Where? That Close Encounters of the Third Kind place? I think they call it Devil's Tower. It looks like a tree stump. That's like the size of a couple buildings. Where is this at? In Wyoming. No, I haven't. I just... That's where Sad Guru says, like, there's been a lot of those yogi deaths that apparently deposited energy. Yeah, definitely like to go there. They have a lot. But if you look at like a big picture, it looks like a tree stump. Really? Hmm. Yeah, it kind of blew my mind. I like saw a different photo of it. Like I've seen it a bunch of times, and then I saw this other photo of it. I'm like, what is that? Because the um, the tree stuff is getting more and more in, intense. Um, but then, like, if I, I don't know if that thing is related to trees at all, but I feel like it'd be pretty cool to to be there and see if it brings up like some of the same responses. Yeah, that that trees do. Yeah. Wyoming is definitely calling me. Yeah, there's so many places there where you could do. I mean, they're perfect, like, retreats or camps. I mean, nighttime is unbelievable. Stars in Wyoming at night. It's just, it's on another level as far as, I don't think you need to go any further than a place like Wyoming. they They have places like that set up to where they would be really, conducive to that those type of retreats um you know with the cabins you know places set up on a ranch with like 15 cabins and just all go there for a week and i can't imagine like the kind of stuff that would happen in a week with me and you there and it'd be yeah i think it would be pretty phenomenal yeah i mean conversation at a campfire with this <laughs> be unreal. Oh. You might be able to do like a Daytona again just in the meantime. Oh, that's it. That's another one that actually might work for you. Um just it's tangibility of the memory so you can take yourself back to just standing in the water in daytona and it's soup because it has that other tangible effect on your feet you know how your feet are being so your feet are getting but you can you can remember that you can remember and feel it and like the more you can feel it, obviously the better. I mean, it's a skill; it takes practice. But I mean, you you know that spot so well, you know what that looks like, and that open ocean horizon is is like a it's an easy one to do because it's basically just a line. Yeah, and you can you can have movement like coming up and hitting your feet, 
but you don't really have to you don't really have to uh put a lot of detail into that but it's weird if you have like another thing that grounds it like that feet feeling when your feet are sinking in the sand and then you could do something like make the sky like super starry like a wyoming sky like make it super like milky way starry sky like you can put yourself in a in a crazy mind's eye place that like you painted yourself but that one would work good for you you would be when it has like multiple tactile feelings like that it seems to be easier to and then you're you're trying to see if you can start to go unconscious in that imaginary place you just built oh that's a really good point because as soon as you said that i can feel the sensation that you're talking about and see the sensation in my feet and not necessarily like you know you can smell something but you know you're not smelling it just doing that with my feet but i can do that all the time like if you really think about bananas like that you you can smell bananas but you're not really smelling bananas yeah and i just did that with my feet in that way that's a pretty where how do you come up with this (laughs) like I never of never would have connected the dots of uh putting myself back at the beach at that familiar place to connect with my mind's eye like that like you're connecting the dots yeah. on a lot of stuff that I would not I mean I feel like spiritually I've in in I know I haven't tunnel, haven't had tunnel vision but I'm I'm saying in the world of many roads and doorways, I've had tunnel vision, so to speak. If that makes sense. It's just, it's the, in many ways, it's the same old me. It's, you know, the construct that was so. Yeah. But it turned on the other side, it turns into what your gifts are. Yeah, and and it's like and your gifts are like uncovering every effing stone. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's uncovering every effing stone. That's your gift. But you you but, were doing you you were manifesting on the other side to the degree that you had uncovered every stone, every question uh, the ego could come up with. I was right about everything, and when I was done, I just collapsed. Oh, my God, that is it. I was right about everything, and when it was done, it collapsed. That is like that is like it. But on this side, now you're like uh, the uncover every stone guy. But that's, that's, that's somewhat of a gift because I don't think in a million years that I would put myself on Daytona Beach in the sand with my feet. But well, as soon as I did, it worked. It's... um. And doing it in this direction, it's crazy because there's, like, I thought there was room for this before, but when you shift it and, you, and you're doing it on this side, it's like, there's more questions than I ever even knew existed. And there's, there's just more avenues of magic and you, you can't even be right. I mean, you can kind of stumble on some right stuff, but I mean, 
even if you are right a little bit, it just opens up door to be right a little bit more later. I mean, there's just this, there's just more to chew on. So the only thing that I have to do is just not put any identity in any of the ideas and just look, look at all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've learned something the last five minutes for sure. (laughs) Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. But yeah, they, um, yeah, the smell one, if you're, cause you might be bleeding your, senses a little bit which is great if you are um so you know some people can like hear colors or like see smells like you you want to try to blend those those senses as much as you can so if you're already picking up on some of that that's definitely in the right direction synesthesia they call it Hmm. Yeah, COVID's kind of messed a lot of that up. (laughs) (laughs) COVID was a weird, as far as smell goes, it's a weird um, thing that happens with your smell because my smell is, uh, it's, it's, I I guess you could say it's normal now, maybe, but I, I don't, it's not though. It's not the same as it was before. And, who gets like a cold and loses their smell for two years? I mean, it's bizarre, bizarre, you know, but it's not the same as it was before. It'll never fully be back. I mean, I've talked to people that in my case, it was the most lingering effect was the the smell. It's the smell. (laughs) getting late you good i'm good man nice chat